Everyone seems to know the score. They've seen it all before. They just know it's so sure that England's gonna throw it away, gonna blow it away. But I know they can play, cause I remember three, three lines, lines on a shirt. Jules remain still, still gleaming. Dreaming, it's coming home. Salutations and welcome to another edition of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B with a calippo. Jojo underscore B, what's going on? Hi. Now, Jojo B. Yeah. By the time this show goes out, mm-hmm. England may or may not be in the World Cup final. We'll be there. We'll be there, you think? Yeah. Are, are you slightly confident? Yes. You, you know what? I've been extra patriotic this past couple of weeks. You know, to the point where I feel like deporting myself. <laughs> I might have to call home office and say, you know, one of my granddads might have some false papers. Just sort it out. Get me out of the country. Because that's how British I feel right now. So now, the, the true British way, though, is to be sceptical all the way through. We're going to lose this. We're going to lose this on penalties. We're shit. We're going to lose this. We're going to lose... Oh, my God, we won. That's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and that's how I've been doing it all the way through. <laughs> to be fair, you've actually said this World Cup has been a fix. And up until yeah. this week, you know, when you when she first said that, you know what, this whole World Cup's a fix, I was just like, bro, shut the fuck up. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's football. It's not cricket. It's football. They don't do this kind of shit. No one fixes but anything. I didn't mean that like, the England matches were fixed. I just meant all the Russia matches were yeah, fixed. Yeah, obviously the Russia <laughs> matches. But the way the Russia actually got through the group, I was kind of like, hmm. And then getting all the way to the quarterfinals the way they did. Yeah, I know. Because didn't I call it that it was all going to go to the last minute and then it's going to go to penalties and they're going to win on penalties yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I said it. But you were wrong. Like everything else in life. Because <laughs> Russia are out, but England are still in the World Cup. As of this show going out at Wednesday midday, England are still in the World Cup. By the evening, by the time you may even have heard this show... It could have all gone horribly wrong. But you know what? I'm still going to say it's been an amazing World Cup for England. Whatever happens, get into the semi-finals of this World Cup. No one would have at all expected it to happen. But I think the boys have done us incredibly proud regardless. Absolutely. And we're old enough to remember the heartache of 1990, both of us. Oh, my days. I was trying to explain this to some of the guys I know because uh, they'd never seen England in a World so Cup no semi-final. no one else was born at that time. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. These young fucks yeah. who are not around to see the heartache that we went through growing up watching England during the 90s. Although, to be fair, the worst years have been in the last 10 years. So the, all they've seen is like the worst of England. Yeah. Whereas we've seen where the, the taste of what might have been. Yeah. World Cup 1990, Euro 96, you know. Euro 96 was like the one for me. 1990, I was like six, seven years old. So I was still a bit young. Yeah. But I felt the pain when we lost. I remember being really sad about losing. Yeah. But like 96 was when I really, it really hit home. That pain really got me. Yeah. And at that young age, it could destroy you for the rest yeah. of your life. You know. Absolutely. Euro 96 really destroyed me. 
because I and I literally thought I don't think I'm ever going to see England I get cried. to a, yeah well, everything the whole country collectively you know like I said you know the right wing and the left wing and the racists and the ethnics we're all one at that point like we are know? now like we are now like I said man like I'm ready to deport me right now that's how British I feel and stuff and also in true British style they decided to you know like smash up an ambulance <laughs> and all that kind of stuff because you know what else if we're not if we're nothing but hooligans in it like what can we be glad to see a lot has changed from the old days of the 80s yeah trashed up an ambulance trashed up an ikea after beating sweden what absolute nonsense that is yeah but you know they, they want to trash up their own homes because most of this stuff will be from ikea in their own houses <laughs> That's so true it's so very very true but anyway whatever happens come on england you've made us proud make us a little prouder but maybe get into the final and let's see if it actually comes home. By the way, can I just say I'm eating my Calippo, so... Yeah, that sorry. most British of, <laughs> uh, you know, snacks uh, during a podcast. It is baking right now. It really is. We've actually, because obviously we've got a, our, a, acoustics in our studio right now. In our, the living room, you mean? See, why are you giving away? Why are you telling people <laughs> how trash we are? It's not trash. They, well, people We're a think, true startup who we are. Yeah, we're still stuck in that startup and we haven't advanced through to the yeah, because we're luxury still new. studio. We're still new. Someone pay us and then we might be able to afford that. Yeah, stuff. we're still looking for uh, uh, sponsorships from people, from jobs. small companies, jobs as well. You know, money. If you're, if, you're, <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, pay for a minute. Do you know what I mean? You know, I should start up a PayPal account and say, save the immigrants at gmail.com. You call us the immigrants a lot now. Native immigrants, love. The native immigrants, yeah. We are the native immigrants. This is the native immigrants podcast. Um, so let's get on with the show, basically. Yeah. Uh, we totally missed from last week's show that we were once again on radio, Jojo P. Did we not mention it? We did not. Oh, dear. Because it was very, very quick, very, very lastminute.com. Um, and obviously, we're always available. So we weren't even like, yeah, we've got other things happening because we've really got no life apart from this podcast. Um, but we were on radio. We take every opportunity that comes our way. We're opportunists. We're opportunists, indeed. So and we thank all those people that give us the opportunity. Yes, give us some more opportunities. Make it an equal opportunities workplace and show some ethnic some love. And we're worth it. We're worth the chance. <laughs> is that is that your big uh Yeah, we're worth the chance. Point? We're good enough. Thanks. Take a chance on us. Take a chance on me. So we were on BBC Radio London on Sonny and Shay's show. Yes, we were. Last weekend. Big up Sonny and Shay. Well, Thank big you. up specifically Sonny, who actually represented yeah. the whole show by himself. Shay wasn't there. Shay was not there. She was at a wedding that day. She was buying it up. Yeah, she was living it large while we were um, talking up our podcast yeah. on, on the London Airwaves. And Sonny um, was working hard. Bless him. Yeah, bless him. He, you know, he kept like kind of getting your name wrong a couple of times. <laughs> You know, I was like, bruv, we've met before multiple <laughs> occasions. You know this chick. But obviously, you know, you are Jojo B in, in this life. Yes. And also he met me as the person who used to tag along to your interviews. Yeah, he never interviewed wife. before me. Before. He didn't interview me before. I can't speak. No, you cannot. No. <laughs> but thankfully, you did actually speak quite eloquently on our radio appearance. You said I do my radio voice. Jo Jojo B's radio voice is this. 
Um, yeah, so then I was working in media and then I was working in uh, radio and then I was working in TV. And then, uh, That's not true. That's not true at it all. Starts, it starts. I have this very nice kind of radio voice. I don't do it here because it's not the same setup as being in a studio. But when you're in a studio, I'm very, I'm like, I'm a little bit more, it's like my phone voice. I used to work in call centers. It's like my call center voice. You'd have been the worst person to call up on a call oh center. Oh my God, customers loved me because I was so calm and I used to fix their problems. And they would come on the phone and be shouting at me and then I would make them feel so bad by being so nice to them that at the end of it, they'd be like thanking me and loving right. me. There's no need to shout because this is a one-day conversation. Shut up. That's how it sounds on radio <laughs> to me. So I'm always, I'm, I have to almost sometimes say to her, like, you know, like putting my hands up and gesturing to like, turn up the volume a little bit love because that's our opportunity to push our show he does and that through the podcast as well yeah because you know he what he really puts me off because like, otherwise it's just silence this is me talking to like just the white noise white air white noise white what's, noise. With all, what's with all the whiteness i'm you know i'm extra proud today like i said i'm more british than ever right so you dirty immigrant get out of my country is what i'm thinking right now staring right down at you screw you you go back to where you come from i come from west london I come from Newcastle. Send me back there. Send me back. <laughs> so I will send you back. <laughs> um, so yeah, so big up Sonny and Shay. Um, I also want to big up my girl Rita Mora, who was also on the show that day. And her new single, Signs, is out. Yes. So please go support her. Download it, stream it. I was, about to, say, I was about to say download legally. But I just kind of thought, do people still go on like random MP3? Like, Why would you Russian need to when sites? you can stream it for free for le- uh, legally? Yeah. And it still counts. Exactly. Yeah. Get, get, it on, get on Spotify. Get on iTunes. Get on all your, all your music streaming places. Can you think of any more? Apple Music. Google Play. Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Remember Play.com? Is it still around? I have no idea, but they used to have really cheap DVDs. Yes. I used to get like DVDs for like three pounds, like yeah. brand new DVDs. Yeah. And this one time we got some Jackie Chan film and they sent it to me and it was like, the, the, the case was rattling. So I was like, um, yeah, so I've got a, a new film come through, but the DVD seems to have had a rattling case. So it's, it's the disc is falling around all over the place. They're like, no problem. We'll just send you another one then. That's good customer service. So I basically just had two DVDs for like, oh, I just paid three pound for it. You didn't have to send the other one back? No. They just, I just said, they're just like, no, just keep it. I'll just send you another one. I'm guessing that they're out of business now. Yes. Specifically based on that one customer service. Yeah. So yeah, don't take a play out of Play's book, basically. I miss DVDs. Yeah. I love DVDs. We've got a collection, quite a good collection between us, but they're in your mom's garage. Well, yeah, because they're all now available pretty much on Netflix or on Amazon Prime or on like a dozen other streaming services. And we don't have any room. But the thing is, you know what? I, the thing I love most about DVDs is, is like the special features and the bonus features and shit. Yeah, which I've you got, don't get on normal TV. I've got my special edition, limited edition Lord of the Rings DVDs. Big up. You know, the ones that came with like a little kind of gift as well. So you got like a, a kind of statue or something or whatever. I've got all of that stuff. Okay. And that's all sitting in my mom, in my mum and dad's garage. All right. Well, it's useless, isn't it? Yeah, I know. In fact, I've also so got every single Empire to... magazine from 1996 to 2005 sitting in their garage as well. I've also, <laughs> I've got in my mum and dad's garage, 1998 till about 2005, every single source magazine. Really? Yeah, the full collection. And then I had like World Soccer from like 94 to like 2000. It's just sitting there gathering dust. Why have we got these things? They probably. I, I always kind of think they'll be worth something one day. 
some of my empires have got some classic covers. You know, like you know, like just of of epic films that came out during that time. The new Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. I've got a Toy Story one. Okay. Story, it must be Toy Story two, and I've got um all the Lord of the Rings ones. Lord of the Rings ones. Lord of the Rings. Sorry, I'm eating Lord my calypso at the same time. My tongue's gone numb. Top of the morning to you, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Apologies to all our Irish listeners. That's really, really wrong. But yeah, Lord of the Rings. Because my dad had a paper shop, innit? So I just used to nick the things that I wanted. So you've been a thief pretty much your whole life. Yeah, and I used to read all the other magazines and put them back on the shelf for people to buy. You're, you know, that you're the kind of customer, you know, that, that has that little picture of that person behind the till saying, if this person comes in the store, please alert security. Because they're a habitual line stepper. So my two favourite things of doing in the shop back in the day was saying to people, it's not a library, you know, when they used to stand there like flicking through the magazines or whatever. Pop kettle black. Yeah, but they don't know that. And also my parents didn't pay me anything, so I was allowed to do that. Why would your parents pay you? It's your own shop. Bloody slave labour, isn't it? And then... Also was, you know, like really embarrassing the people who were looking at the top shelf dirty magazines. Oh, you that's the worst. Because I wasn't old enough to sell them. So like I would have to go, Mom, somebody wants to buy a dirty magazine and she would have to come from the back of the shop oh and come my in. Days. <laughs> did you did you guys it's have like to my favorite thing? Did you guys have to you know some back in the day when like someone would order like a dirty mag and they didn't want it delivered to the house and they said, Can you put it in like this bush in like off this like no. playground somewhere? And I'll collect it from there. No. The the most common in that this will tell you a lot about the area that we had our shop in. The most common excuse for buying one of those magazines was, it's not for me. I'm taking it for my mate in prison. <laughs> and you'd get girlfriends doing that for their boyfriends in oh, prison. Ride or die chicks. Yeah. And you'd get mates doing that and you'd just be laughing your head. Because I was little, so I would just get to t- like laugh at them. And even when I got older, it was hilarious because they would hate being served by me because they've seen me grow up in the shop especially so they were like really embarrassed fuck's sake literally a problem child it was fun it's fun growing up in a shop there's lots of stupid things that happen lots of stupid things you could steal yeah and um still a thief to this day um right so also make anything i'm also very pissed off there's two ends of the spectrum I, i saw my beloved india play uh england in a cricket over the weekend we beat them demolished them it was like coming home for football, mm-hmm. but for cricket, there's only one home of cricket, and that's India. Um, but I didn't get a single ticket on this ballot for next year's World Cup. Oh, and dear. I ranted about this a few episodes ago, about how extortionately expensive the tickets are for India games. And after all that, I didn't even get a single ticket through the ballot. They did us a favor and saved us some money. Fuck that shit. And now we can go on another holiday. To be honest, for the price I would have paid for a single ticket, we could probably have gone to like, you know, like Venice and back. So you can take me to Venice and back then? We'll see. I'm going to still see if I can scrounge some tickets. Oh, I just saw loads of people on Twitter say, I, I managed to get tickets for the games. I can't believe it. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, these part-time armchair fans that end up getting tickets and me, this diehard who's been going to every game for the last like decade, I missed out on tickets. You know what? You know who will have tickets? Go on. Matata. Jaja means uncle, by the way, if you don't know what that means. I think the thing is, everyone's Jaja will have tickets for this game. He always has loads of tickets. He'll be like, oh, I've got 40 spare tickets. Yeah. How the fuck do these people get these tickets? In the ballot, they say <laughs> maximum four tickets. And then you'll have some Jaja saying, yeah, I've got 20 tickets for the game. Anybody want any tickets? Yeah. Contact me in it. Contact me. I'll get some tickets for you. I've got 20 tickets in it. 
That's not how my jaja speaks, by the way. Jaja. When I say jaja, it's a generalization for somebody's uncle. Okay, yeah, fine, but that's not how my jaja speaks. Oh, for fuck's sake! It's not all about families, man. You always turn it into families. Oh, because of my family. Ver- my family versus your family and Bastard. shit. Seriously, this chick. Leave my family alone. Fuck's sake! They embrace you. They take you to cricket matches. Talking of families, um, one thing that we were having a conversation about the other day, which grinded our goat growing up was when uh, our mums used to open our post. Oh, my God. Uh, like, nonchalantly, without any shudder, mm. open your post. Yep. Bank statements. Why were you spending this much money? Where, where, where have you been? I'm living in London at this point. Yeah. All my stuff used to go to my mum and dad's house still. Then why are you spending this? Why? Where did this... What, what was happening here? When did you go out? Why did you do this? And I, I, I hit the roof. Yeah, like, when did it... When was it okay... For you to open my post. Like, I know that the thing is that the normal answers we used to get back in the day before that was obviously we're still living under the roof of our parents. See, now my parents never opened my letters when I lived under their roof. But as soon as I moved away from home, I used to go home every other week. So it's not like they would pile up. I didn't get loads of post. But my mum just couldn't help it. Because yeah. she always thought I was up to something. Some mischief. And I was up to nothing. But where, how are they going to find out in a like a HSBC statement? Oh, she must be up to no good. I want to find out because what she's doing. Because they used doing. to have this itemized statement so you'd be able to see where I'd spent money. Why uh, are you spending money on this? Why are you buying clothes? Where are you going? What was this for? What was that for? And I'd be like, just mind your own bloody business. I'm spending my own money. Do you know what I mean? I, that's, that's the money that I'm earning and I'm making and I'm still contributing towards the house. What made it okay for you to open my post? I, I still remember I was like this one time, like post aside, like I was having a conversation with one of my brethren in high school. Mm. Uh, and obviously my mum answered the phone. She was like, yeah, no worries. I put it through to him. And she called me and said, oh, you know, it's one of your mates. So I was like, all right, cool. Pick up the phone. I'm chatting to him. And we're chatting about some beef incident that happened in school. Like I got in some arms with this other guy. Mm. And obviously like there was a bit of a, not a bunga, but it's a bit of a, like a pushing, shoving kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, so we were talking it out and stuff like that about what we're going to do the next couple of days, whatever. And I was like, yeah, so we'll sort it, we'll sort it. I put the phone down. The mom comes running upstairs saying, what was all that about? And I was like, what? And she was like, what is you having some fight with some boy in school? I was like, how the hell did you know? She was like, obviously, I'm on the other side. I'm still listening to the conversation. Oh, my God. I was like, what the actual fuck? How fucking dare you like listen to my conversation? And she, you know, her excuse was, but then, you know, you lose the connection. You know, you lose the bond between mother and son. I was like, you're about to lose it all, Ma. You're about to lose it. <laughs> you're about to lose everything. Yeah. What made it okay for parents to do that? Parents now, I don't know if you guys still do this. Maybe this was just when we were growing up. Like, there's a differentiation between a parent and a child. But there comes to a point where they're young adults. Just give them their space. Do not open their fucking mail. And do not listen in on their conversations. Yeah, because teenagers don't want to tell their parents what they're up to. I hated my parents. And I I mean, I love them. And I loved them then. But also at the same time, I was a moody, horrible, bitchy teenager. And I hated everybody. So my parents were obviously the worst people in the world at that Standard. point. So I wasn't going to share with them the stuff that was going on at school. Yeah. But my mum and dad never did that because we only had one phone. <laughs> okay. We didn't get the phone upstairs and downstairs thing till way later. Right. So we had one phone. But was it in the living room? It was in the hallway. Oh. Okay, so fine. you'd have to have like a whispered conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, my dad got a mobile. Yeah. So then I could like use his phone because he didn't know how to use it. So I would like <laughs> in those days, Orange used to get I think it was like ten free texts in the evening or five. Oh free my texts. god! The old days of you know Mercury one to one those deals. Yeah. Were like. 
gold mines. So I used to use up his text because I'd be like, Dad, they're going to go to waste anyway. So I used to use up his text and then just like delete all my friends' text messages about what, what? happened at school. Yeah, because this is before I got my own mobile. I didn't get my own mobile phone until I was 18 with my first wage packet. Big up yourself, Jojo B. Yeah. I was a, I was a good girl like that. But then I used to use my dad's phone instead and we'd talk about gossip at school and boys and things. <laughs> Oopsie. Goopshoop. I want to give a shout out to someone this week because you oh, always okay. do the shout outs and I, I want do. to do a shout out. That's because, you know what, I have a special connection with our listeners. You with your yeah, diva-ish, yeah. I don't want to interact with anyone that nah, like, you know, nah, listens to us. Nah, nah. That's all I ever hear. Diva. He's the special one and I'm the shit one and blah, 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 blah. No one cares. So you, so you agree with me? Though? No, I don't agree. But anyway, this week, I'm going to do a shout out. All right. I the want to say, yours. I want to say thank you. To our loyal listener, Rajpreet from Derby, who listens in every week and says it's just like having us with there with her when she's at work. Oh, okay. She listens at work. Big up, Rajpreet from Derby. Thanks, Rajpreet. Uh, thank you, Rajpreet. Um, if you get a chance, review us on iTunes, so then I'll get a chance to shout you out for the next show. Shout out. Um, but yeah, big up everyone that listens to our show. Thank you so much to all the people that listened in last week's show about um, Asian attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Um, I want to thank uh, Kakan Qureshi, who is a gay rights activist who uh, we mentioned in last week's show. And he actually uh, listened in and gave us a lovely little glowing response. Thank you very much for taking the time out to listen to our little show. Absolutely. You know, uh, it was obviously during Pride Month. So big up everyone that attended Pride last weekend as well. We were planning to be there and then... We were. But Jojo B... As ever. Did my... a Jojo B. I'm sorry, my health. Jojo B. So we missed out on seeing what looked like an amazing atmosphere and a great vibe from all the pictures that we've seen. Um, but yeah. just, you know, everyone's showing unity and it was a real diverse community and that's what we won here in London. Yep. You know, so big up everyone that listened to last week's show and, and checked it out and shared it, reviewed it, because like we said, it's all about education, all about discussion. Um, but I also want to uh, say that I'm extremely pissed off and it's something that's pissed me off now, Jojo B, for like, at least 20 years of my life. Okay. Why do they always subtitle Indians talking English on TV? I don't know, because they don't do it to anybody else. Absolutely not. And I know, fair enough, it's like maybe I've got a different ear to your normal British household, because uh, I can understand everything that's being said by an Indian speaking, in an Eng you know, speaking English in their accent. Yeah. But it's so painfully obvious what they're saying. Yeah, because sometimes they'll subtitle the Indian speaking perfectly clear English and then have somebody else from a different part of the world speaking English... And you don't really know what they're saying. Exactly. And the, 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 the sentences are not even grammatically correct. It's like broken up. Yeah. And so it's you can just about make it out. But these guys are speaking eloquent English with, with terminology that we don't even use in our everyday speak. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so precise. And yet it always gets subtitled. I just find it really patronizing very offensive. It's, you know, it's just, it's not right. I've never been a fan of it. I still, we saw it the other day again. And I was just like, are we not past that yet? Obviously not. <laughs> Obviously, our brown skin makes it more difficult to understand the words that we're saying. The skin is like a barrier. Do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Not when you speak like that, no. No, probably not. That <laughs> needed subtitles. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's the end of the first half of the Native Immigrants podcast. When we come back on the other side, we're going to be discussing our trips to India as youth and also discussing... Is India a dangerous place for young women to visit? See you on the other side, people.
Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And in this half of the show, we're going to be talking about our trips to India during our youth. <laughs> now, I don't know what it was like for you, Jojo B, but trips to India for me were six weeks of traumatic hell. So our trips would normally coincide during the summer holidays because obviously Asians aren't going to take any of us out during t- school term time. Otherwise, they'll get dobbed in. Well, mine did, but that's another story. Karen. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, during the summer, it would start from a couple of days from the end of the school term in July. And we'd come back a couple of days before the start of the school term in September. And this would be six weeks of mosquito-ridden burning back hell because we'd just be paraded from one house to the other um, literally doing nothing from long hours at stretch um, not eating much food it was just the most traumatic hell for me and it's just this one of the reasons why I haven't been back to Gujarat since see for us we used to get traipsed around from different house to house and we'd go for a couple of weeks and always in a less expensive time of the year. So summer holiday is expensive, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's when everybody goes away. So we used to go term time, usually. Sometimes Easter. But um, then, yeah, you'd, we'd go for two weeks because mum and dad had a shop. So I'd go with one parent. The other one stayed behind. Yeah. Look after the shop. So it couldn't be away for too long. And you'd spend a week just go around saying hello to everybody. And then you'd spend the following week going around saying bye to everybody. So you didn't actually get to do anything or go anywhere or see anything. I've never seen the Taj Mahal. I've seen the Golden Temple. I don't know how because it's a miracle that we travelled anywhere that was away from near us. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just a bit, (laughs) it was just like torture the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been three times to India. Um, I think I went in, early 83 84 then again at 86 and then we took a bit of a gap till 94 um and each of the times there wasn't really much difference because the thing with it with india is it was always sold to us as being this amazing place where you get a chance to do x number of activities you would get a chance to check this out check that out and every time we'd come back from india and be like i never want to go to india again and every time we used to somehow get convinced by my parents, no, it's all changed now. Everything's brand new. They've got all the <laughs> latest technology on this. They've got all the latest technology on that. So by the time you get there, it'll be even better than London. So you know what? Us and our gullible minds would somehow get caught up in the hype, end up turning up, and it would be worse than the time we went even before. Always. You know, um, the last time that we went to uh, Gujarat in 94 was this trip where... Because we're quite a religious family. Yeah. Uh, my parents decided that, you know, they want to check out some temples in India. Now, it's a country of 1.2 billion people. Yeah. So, there's an awful lot of temples. Yes, there is. There's probably a <laughs> temple within every two and a half square miles. So, not only were we going to visit all of these temples in the middle part of India, somehow my cousins convinced my dad that they should accompany him on this trip. So not only was there my immediate family, there was also 20 other members of our household in India, all crammed into what was a mini bus, caravan. Might as well have been a camel cart for all I cared because we were crammed into this one vehicle going through the middle part of India 
from one temple to the other, seeing the same God from one place to the other, <laughs> there'd be like temples the size of like a DVD player to temples the size of like a small town here in the UK. And it was just hell for us, you know, because there's only so much worship you can get in in a day. This is true. And when it's 50 different places like that on continuous every day for almost two weeks, it could legitimately turn you atheist by the end. I've been going to India since I was four and we go and stay with my grandma. Right. Bless her soul. She's no longer with us. She was one of the best women ever. But what she would do is at four o'clock in the morning, she would come and put, <laughs> she would come and put the uh, Girtan tape on. Okay. Right. At four o'clock in the morning in the room where, because me and my dad used to share a room. I was only four at the time. So she would, she would put the tape on and then just wander off to another room. Okay. And just let it play. And then she'd go off to the Gurdwara at like six o'clock in the morning. Because she was a very religious woman, was my grandma. Right. And uh, she'd just leave this plane. And then in our town, because it's, like it's quite a large town now, it's quite a mixed town as well. You'd hear the Azan go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Mandir speakers would go off. And the Gurdwara speakers would go off all at the same time. Oh, <laughs> you'd just hear days. all this going on. Plus my, mom, my grandma's tape. And my grandma's nowhere to be found. My gra- my dad used to go off it with her because we've come here for a break and she's waking me up at bloody four o'clock in the morning. I have to get up at five o'clock anyway because we had a paper shop. But I was like, there's no break for me. There's there's no end to this hell. <laughs> yeah. And I just have to hear him like rabbiting on about how much he hated having to listen to it, but he loved it really because it's my yeah, grandma. Yeah, of course, of course. But like, so there was always that. There was yeah. always this early morning start and then you have to be in bed by seven o'clock for some reason. Standard. Yeah, it was crazy. When you're four, that's fine. When you're 15, not so fine. That's, you know, like it's still light outside and you're telling me to go to bed. What the yeah, hell? Yeah, absolutely. And this is after they've already had like about three hours sleep during the daytime. Exactly. In their afternoon, like naps and siestas. Well, you need a siesta after having 10 rotis again for the second time of the day oh, at lunchtime. But also, when we first started going to India, we had no decent toilet in the house. Oh, God. Do, do, I'm still like the scars of seeing early Indian toilets from our first few trips. I literally can't get those images out of my head now. Mate, one of the houses we used to stay at, we used to have to go in the field. Oh, That's how bad it was. Try and get a four-year-old to go to the toilet in the field. It's not going to happen. Just right? And then, and then, I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> that might be too much information. But then there was also the ones where you have to like crouch. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, for a child who's been born and brought up in the UK, you see it for the first time, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, like, so absolutely. I didn't know what to do there. So that was the failure. Yeah. And there was no hot water. So apparently my mum said I came back from my first trip to India with my dad, completely scarred and like, and wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have any water thrown over my head. Like, you know, you wash your hair. Yeah. yeah. She, I would not let my mum wash my hair um, when I was having a bath and I wouldn't wash it myself because, <laughs> um, because you're a diva. Because I was scared of having water over my head because my mum reckons someone put cold water over my head and shocked me when I was in India when they were giving me a bath. Because again, I hadn't known a world without hot water running through the tap. Mm. And so there was all these things that like really scarred me. Plus, you know, the usual diarrhea. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the eating roti all the time. And my mum wasn't there. My mum was, was at home and I was there with my dad. And my dad is, you know, lovely and loves me very much, but... Not my mom, innit? Yeah. <laughs> you need your mom when you're that age. But also, like going to India, it kind of felt like, you know, it was such a massive cultural difference for us from 
you know, the life that we had here to India. But obviously, you were literally just thrown into the deep end and just made to get on with it as kids. All the cartoons were dubbed into Hindi or Punjabi. You were lucky you had a TV, bro. We didn't even have that. But it was like really far away from anywhere you could actually sit down and watch it. Right. Okay. So you had to kind of squint to see the screen. <laughs> okay. Because it's a very small screen on the far end of the uh, the room where the only plug was. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It was one of those, and the bloody lights would go off. The electricity oh would go God, off. Oh my God, yeah. So like basically, yeah, out of nowhere, all the, the entire town, the lights would go off. And then there's nothing to do. You just sit there and bake. It would always coincide during the one time that the kids got a chance to watch television. Yeah. Because usually it would be like, Durdarshan on TV. <laughs> and that, that, you know, we said, Dad, Dad, can we change it? Uh, no. You know, because obviously like my dad's older brother, he was the, the, the patriarch in a way. Yeah. So he was the main decision maker. So whatever was on television was up to him. We just had to sit there and take it. So it'd be some terrible Durdarshan stuff on. Yeah. And then we'd finally get a chance to watch something on television and be like, oh my God, finally, let's watch some cartoons or something. And then the whole electricity would go off in the town. Yeah. And you'd be like, just fucking kill me now. <laughs> the best bit was, of when we used to go to India, was my cousin and my auntie had come to stay with us for a little while and we dropped them off. That was my first trip back yeah. going to India. We dropped them off. But my cousin had loads of toys. Oh, my dad okay. had spoiled him run and he wasn't allowed to play with those toys um unless i was there so when we used to when i used to go to india he'd be able to pull out all his toys so we'd have and i was really i was quite a tomboy i was really into cars and stuff right so we used to like play with all his toys when we were kids like so if the lights went out we had some stuff to play with because my dad had made sure there was this like whole raft of things like play, like toys and stuff that we could actually have some fun with so we weren't beholden to kind of the TV as our only entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we weren't allowed out anywhere, obviously, because we were kids. Yeah, of course. So either we would be playing or we'd be having epic fights. Me and my cousin used to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> he is two years older than me. He's the who we went to see in New Zealand recently. He's two years older than me, but I've always been taller than him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was also slightly chubbier than him as a child as well. Oh, dear. Times have changed now, though. Have they? Yeah. But uh, get screwed. But we used to beat the crap out of each other. He actually took, and I think the Indians or the Asians here will know what I'm talking about, a charu, which is like a kind of Indian broom, but it's made out of cane. Oh, okay. He took one of those and tried to hit me over the head with it. Bloody hell. And somehow, I don't know where from, but this cane came into my hand. And this this one cane that I found leaning against the wall came into my hand. So I turned around and I whacked him around the back of the legs. <laughs> <laughs> we had Violence in shoes in Jojo B's family. Epic fights. And then I got told off. I was like, he was trying to kill me. And my mum was like, no, I can't say anything to him. So I'm going to tell you off. My cousin, like Aladdin, like kind of just ran off over the rooftops because all the roofs are like really close together. Do not tell me about rooftops. All right. Why? I had a traumatic experience with an Indian rooftop uh, when, on my second trip to India in 86. I fell off the roof. What the hell? Of our building. So obviously, like you just mentioned, rooftops in India are flat. Yeah. They're all flat roofs. Um, just so people actually sleep on them during the night a lot of the times as well. The manja under the stars. Exactly. Um, and I was uh, playing on the rooftop. I think there were some kites or something with some cousins. Oh, and um, my uh, one of the aunts uh, was calling down because there was some um, clothes on the washing line. And there was like this one big jadar, which is like a big sheet for those that understand. Yeah. And uh, she was asking them to throw them down to her and stuff because too lazy to go upstairs to get himself. And um, <laughs> so I was up there and I, I, 
took this chadar and and threw it down what i didn't realize was it take me with it and i basically fell off the roof of our building oh in india oh my god and i am just lucky to this day that my dad was actually standing at the exact same place as i fell down and actually caught me and Your dad's a hero dad is a superstar for that and he he caught me and i wasn't the the lightest child uh, no i've up. seen pictures exactly um and so he fell down to his knees and he basically damaged his, uh, massive bruises and and blood stains all over his knees because oh, no. he went down with such force um but had he not done that there would be no native immigrants podcast and there'd be a single jojo b right now on shadi.com looking for um the man of her dreams oh that's quite scary you know it was very very scary that's what i'm saying i haven't been back since 1994 and that's a a, a combination of many moments during those trips that basically scarred me it's different now because there's, there's not a lot of family left there now for me yeah um Same. you know my dad um had two older brothers sadly both of them have now passed away um so trips to india for him were a chance to see his family you know he he'd obviously come over to the uk in the 70s you know so he'd lived in india throughout his life before then and you know any opportunity for him to see his mum and to see his brothers and all the kids and such was like it was gold dust to him yeah. you know so i can't begrudge him the opportunity to do that and see his family yeah it's just that we unfortunately were low end priority during these trips i remember this one amazing day where um we were quite hungry um and we were on this trip to all the temples like i said yeah and uh you know starving because we hadn't eaten much and um you know so we you know my mom was like you know the kids need to eat something you know they need some food so my dad was like all right no problem no problem we'll sort something out let's sort something out for them so he spoke to his, our cousins and we were like right let's find somewhere f- for these guys to get something to eat um you know so cuz they haven't eaten all day so what they decided was they saw a guy a rickery stand on the side as they were driving past that was selling sliced up cucumbers with chili on them Wow. And they decided that this was going to be our dinner. Oh my god. For the day. And so we were each handed a banana leaf with cucumbers sliced up with chili on them as our only meal of the day. That's Gujarati tightness to another level. You're telling me, fam. See, the good thing about us is my grandma used to make us like trail around and go to different gurdwaras and stuff. There was this one time she made us go to this one that was up in some like mountain and it was baking hot it was like the middle of the day and it was so hot and they there's no they said oh leave your shoes in the car and we'll walk up the path to the gurdwara yeah so did that i put my feet down and i started crying cuz it was so hot and i i grabbed onto my uncle's leg who was newly married into our family at this point so he had this chubby little 6 year old kind of like ch- holding onto his leg crying chubby understatement but yeah exactly i was a bit of a hefty child and uh he had to carry me up this path up this hill to this gurdwara got to the gurdwara and you have to wash your feet obviously before you go in because you've walked on the, the you know the dirty floor or whatever yeah turn the tap on taps boiling the water's hot it's like this is the only place you can get hot water in the whole of india on the day that i don't want to have it yeah and then we go inside the electricity's gone yeah yeah and so we had to sit there and she made us sit there but the only good thing about going to the gurdwaras and like kind of doing this was you get prashad yep so you get your like garab prashad and you also get langar yeah yeah 
So you get fed at least. You get good food. Yeah. No, we came after every trip having lost weight uh, to <laughs> India. So India almost seemed like a, uh, a detox uh, trip for well, us. You inevitably, we'll lose weight because you'll get some kind of food poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. I had my so this is my scariest moment of being in India. I got very bad food poisoning to like another level, mm. and um, I was really really sick. And there were, I was on my way to the doctors, and I actually passed out in the street, cut my head open, everything like just like fell bang straight onto the pavement. So anyway, get me to a hospital, and um, when I come round because I wasn't quite with it, um, my uncle sitting there, and there was there was a rotating family member always with me the whole time I was in the hospital for that day. I refused to stay overnight. But um, because they were really scared, not of like pervy staff doing anything to their, you know, to a young lady in her late teens, early 20s. No, they were scared that they were going to harvest my organs. What the fuck? That they were going to murder me and and sell my organs on the black market. What? Because that, has happened genuinely there have been cases where people have gone in for something as simple as food poisoning and then you know they've been given something through their their drip or whatever some medicine as they call it sends them to sleep so they can harvest the organs and then you know see you later basically wow and then they don't release the body obviously because half the body's missing so they can't let that happen so what they'll do is they'll incinerate or whatever jeez yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy shit. And so that is probably my scariest moment of going to an Indian hospital <laughs> where someone might have tried to murder me for my organs. Well, well, uh, as we transition from there, um, speaking of a single uh, Asian woman in India, yeah. Um, according to a poll of global experts via Thomson Reuters Foundation released just two weeks ago, India is the world's most dangerous country for women due to the high risk of sexual violence and being forced into slave labour. Afghanistan and Syria ranked second and third. These experts include academics, policymakers, journalists and those working in healthcare or other developmental sources. Experts in India said moving to the top of the poll showed not enough was being done to tackle the danger women faced more than five years after the rape and murder of a student on a bus in Delhi made violence against women a national priority. So the question we've got to ask Jojo B is, is India the world's most dangerous country for women? I would say that it ranks very highly, but it probably at the moment deserves that number one spot because... I don't think I've, I've, I've ever felt safe in India. So I would go there and the older that I got, the less freedoms that I had. Even as a child, you're not allowed to kind of play out. You play in your like yard or whatever, but you're not allowed to go outside and play in the street. I was never allowed anyway. Um, but as I got older, it got more and more strict. My mum would say to me not to wear English clothes. I had to wear Indian suits and very loose fitting kind of cotton suits. Nothing that made me stand out too much because um, my skin turns quite light. So I, I guess I stood out anyway. Um, so people could tell that I was not, I was Indian, but not from India, if you know what I mean. Um, so I would get a lot of stares for that. As I got older, just like more and more lecherous stares. There's this one time that I was um, outside a shop with my uncle. It was a really hot day. I was really tired. I was leaning my head onto his shoulder. And this guy walked past, he kept walking past and he just kept staring. And like with big kind of goggle eyes. You know, like really lechy, horrible stuff. Yeah. And he was muttering something. I never caught what he said, but I think my uncle must have done because he went for him. 
and he was sure. he was about to beat the shit out of him and my dad came running out of the shop and was like what's going on and I like, had to hold him back and stuff and told him to leave it and like I've never sworn in front of my dad before but as we were walking past this guy said something and I can't remember what he said and I was like fuck off you wanker <laughs> <laughs> I was so angry and he knew whether he understood English or not he knew that I was angry yeah absolutely this dude and like it was so disgusting though my uncle was just like you know this is my niece how dare you be so disgusting like you know like you, no one can show affection to each other at all yeah. there's been loads of cases in the news about how you know like a girl's been with a, a guy friend or whatever and been holding on to him on a train or a bus or whatever and then people start on them and they you know like they start getting felt up the girl gets felt up because they think she's of a certain type yeah absolutely. all that kind of stuff because you can't show affection to anyone in india because then you're a whore basically yeah. and and it's a free-for-all and you even if it's a family member they don't know if it's a family member or not it could be your husband it could be your brother or whatever you're not allowed to kind of have any bodily contact with anybody well talking about family members national crime records bureau statistics for 2012 to 2016 show that approximately 40 percent of female reported rape victims were minors and 95 percent of them knew the rapist the rapists belong to the circle of trust of extended family and friends. They do quite often say that if you're abused or if you're raped, that you're likely to know your attacker. But the fact that people can think that way and they can prey on, you know, young girls or young children, because it doesn't matter about their gender. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and again, same with rape cases, it doesn't matter about gender. The fact that people will prey on someone that they know because those people trust them mm. is disgusting. Like it's just, it's a horrible way to, to be, but that's, it's rife in India, I think at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, we talk about this, this survey and, and the experts opinions of this specific matter, but it doesn't actually change the statistics itself. The stats show that a huge increase in reported rapes, 83% between 2007 and 2016. Official crime statistics for 2016 shows a woman was raped every 13 minutes. Wow. Six women were gang raped every day. A bride was murdered for dowry every 69 minutes and 19 women were attacked with acid every month. So it's difficult because you talk about India being the most dangerous place for women in the world and you've got these like war-torn countries like Afghanistan and Syria that are second and third are monarchies such as Saudi Arabia in that top five list where women have fewer rights than in India. You think of India and the fact that it's such a de democratic society for women. You know, women have high level jobs within the government. They've got um, a lot more rights within that country than a lot of the other countries within Asia itself. And so it's such a damning verdict, the fact that it's still looked at as the most dangerous. I think you can say in India, women have legal rights. You know, legally they're allowed to walk around and be free. Yeah. But I don't think society allows them to do that. Mm. I think the problem lies with people. Yeah. It's people who are preventing women from progressing and from being able to have a free life and from being able to lead a safe life. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. And then you add in the corruption of the police. There's nowhere safe. There's no one to turn to. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think as much as you have legal rights, if they're not upheld by the police and if society is not allowing you to live within those those freedoms, mm. you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And yeah. so that then puts India at a, in a worse position than some of those other countries because in a war-torn country like Syria or Afghanistan, 
those women have got and they haven't got anywhere to turn to there is no kind of real law and order in place yeah. you know there's some sort of it but it's not really upheld in the kind of smaller towns or whatever once you get away from the big cities yeah. um and then in like in places like saudi well they openly you know subjugate their women they're not allowed to go and do anything they're not i mean they've only just been allowed to start driving yeah exactly and yeah. even then they're not allowed out without a male escort so if your male escort is the one who's who's abusing you or you know is you know causing you problems how are you supposed to then get away from him to be able to report him exactly yeah so there will be less reported cases in those places because there's no one you can turn to yeah or no yeah. way that you can get out in order to be able to to report it than in India. But in India, it allows those freedoms, but still doesn't uphold them. So that's even worse, I think. I think it's a worse situation to be in. Yeah. Those yeah. are the countries kind of go, hold their hands up and go, yeah, we're not that great, you know? And we're going to let everybody know that we're not that great because that's yeah. just the way we are. India's trying to, and pretending to be this place of freedom and this growing democracy and blah, blah, blah. But actually the reverse is true yeah because if you think about it you know there the statistics i was just saying right now with the 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 increased number of rapes it's just because more rapes are now being reported you know compared to say 20 years ago because of the case that happened in delhi so more and more people are coming out to to speak up about being victims of rape um but that still doesn't change the the fact that it's happening at such an alarming rate and and happened at such an alarming rate even before that you know india is also ranked as the most dangerous country for women in terms of human trafficking including sex slavery and domestic servitude and for customary practices such as forced marriage stoning and female infanticide so you know it, it can hold its hands up and say yeah this is not the most dangerous place for women but it's regularly and consistently ranked amongst the top countries in the world for some of the biggest atrocities for women. It doesn't surprise me that we're number one. Yeah, those things are have yes, they're more reported now, but they've always happened, and they're they're still happening. People are feeling a bit more confident about coming forward about it. But what is actually being done about those reported cases? How many of those are prosecuted? How many people go to jail? Yeah, probably not that many no. because it's hard enough to get that to happen in this country. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. over in India, where the corruption is rife and where women aren't held it with any real value not a, you know in a lot of places yeah then you're unlikely to get the prosecutions that you should be getting yeah well um the uk government website actually has warnings to british women about traveling to india saying serious sexual attacks involving polish german and danish women travelers were reported in 2014 in January 2015, a Japanese woman was kidnapped and sexually assaulted close to Bordgea, and a Russian woman was seriously assaulted by an auto rickshaw driver in the Vasant Gunj area of New Delhi. In July 2016, an Israeli national was sexually assaulted by a number of men while travelling to Manali. Women travellers should exercise caution when travelling in India, even in travelling in a group. I think that old kind of warning that I used that I got when I was younger and I was I applied for a job in Delhi after university and my parents weren't very happy about it. My dad said to me, you know, it's all right for Gore to do it. It's all right for white people to go out to India and travel on their own and do all of that stuff. It's not safe for you because you're an Indian girl that they know doesn't come from India. They can tell, I don't know how it is, you can just tell from straight off that, mm, you yeah. know, you, you, they, know, they know that you're not from there. So my dad said, don't do it because it's not safe for you, it's safe for white people. But I don't think that is the case anymore. 
I don't think that that rule applies any anymore to to white people. Unfortunately, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white lady is seen as fair game and probably a bit more attractive yeah, as well. Absolutely, you know, it's a it's a better catch. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible to say, but that's that seems to be the case. I was actually reading an article. Uh, in the Telegraph, written by um, a lady by the name of Georgia Arlett, who was discussing her experiences on a trip to India with some friends. Um, and she actually said, giddily piling into rickshaws, I was the first to discover that sitting in the front seat means that many drivers will look for the radio between your thighs. Yes. Hands were slipped underneath our trousers while we watched the fireworks display. Holy, the festival of colour in which people throw paints at each other was a free-for-all for Indian men intent on daubing the fronts of our shirts with coloured powders. The list goes on. When we visited around three years ago, we were prepared for the poverty. We'd read the guidebooks back to front to learn the scams and the tricks that thieves employed to steal cameras and iPods. We weren't warned that traveling without a man in India is an invitation for unwanted advances. You can you can say, oh, you know, well, the white girls might go around in shorts and things like that. But there's always clear guidelines within, um, you know, travel guides and stuff to respect the local culture, try and cover up and all that kind of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, it's not about what the woman is wearing. It's never about what the woman is wearing. It's never the woman's fault that she's got raped. She's been raped by a man who wants to rape someone he wants to inflict pain he wants to you know kind of have his show of power because that's what it is it's a power trip and you know whether it's a white woman or an asian woman or whoever any woman whether she's in a mini skirt or whether she's in a burqa she's fair game to somebody who wants to rape someone yeah because the clothes don't matter it's not what you're wearing. It's not what you're doing. It's not, you know, the way that you look or if you've looked somebody in the eye. None of that is the problem. The problem is the men who feel like they can do that to you. Yeah. And it's their attitudes and it's their lack of respect and lack of value for women and the need to then show some kind of power over this woman because he's got issues of his own, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, Deepa Narayan, who wrote uh, a piece in The Guardian um, just after this uh, expert survey was actually released, um, said that what rape statistics really reflect is a vicious cultural agreement that women have little value, which means in turn that these girls must be trained to act as if they do not exist, to minimise their presence to survive, to serve men and not inconvenience them. This sounds archaic in this day and age, but it's true in India and to a greater or lesser degree across many cultures, irrespective of wealth or education. Advertising firms and big data companies know how to change culture. We need to harness these skills to change conversations about what it means to be a man so women can flourish without being imprisoned in the name of safety. So she's trying to find a kind of solution to the problem, which is a massive, massive problem. It starts in things like you know, media and culture. But again, you know, the same onus, which has been in literally all of our last few episodes is about education. And it starts at a ground root level and works its way up. And for so long, um, when we talk about things like female genocide and the fact that there's a much bigger population of men than, it, than women in India, it's because of the high levels of female infanticide and the fact that women are looked at as a lower value of the two sexes, and it's led, you know, to to all the things that have happened, all the atrocities that have been happening to women for decades in India. And I think the ones that end up in the news, those cases, are the most 
horrific, the most sensational. Yeah. But actually, there's this whole other level, which is like an everyday level. It's rape within marriage. You know, when a woman says no, she means no, whether you're married to her or not. That's not allowed that if she doesn't want to do it. But it's something that's normalized in India that if you're married to somebody, you should be able to take what you want from them. Yeah. And so there's that going on. Yes. Like you said, there's the, the female infanticide. So there's just a whole kind of like, I hope you don't have a girl. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's a boy. I hope you're blessed with a boy because a girl's a curse. That level of thinking has to change. Yeah. The value of a of a baby girl needs to be seen because then that baby girl becomes a woman and her value if if she's got no value at birth, she's going to have no value when she's 20 when she's ready to get married. Yeah. You know, and in between in those years where she's developing you know that the levels of protection maybe aren't around her so much so then she is open to abuse from other members of the family it kind of just goes on and, and then it's kind of hushed up yeah. that has to that can't be allowed to happen yeah absolutely not you know these things have to start from the very very start of a of a girl's life all the way through her into her womanhood the value needs to be placed if a woman goes into a marriage and she's raped or abused by her partner or his family she shouldn't have to stay in that situation mm. and a lot of families say like the parents of of girls will say well you're married now you have to deal with it yeah you can't come back here yeah because she was already a curse on them when she was born and now to come back again that's going to be another house their mouth that they need to feed yeah absolutely and yeah. it comes back to that you know we were talking last week about is it and your name in society and your name within your community in india and things like that people would rather see their daughters live this painful torrid existence rather than have the shame of her coming back into their household after yeah. what is a failed marriage these things don't just happen in you know ill-educated households yeah these things are happening in middle-class households I, I heard a story and um, a lady who was a doctor who'd married into a family of doctors she got pregnant they um, had a scan it was a girl and her mother-in-law, I think she drugged her or something, but the baby was aborted. Damn. And then this is a family of doctors. Mm. Now, if these people are doing it, then they're completely educated and, the, you know, they've come gone through all the highest levels of education and they can still think that way. Yeah. Then the, what is the hope for the less educated? Well, yeah, speaking of the educated, there have been lots of people that have been highly critical of this survey. Um you know, but obviously with anything in India, it's always on the back foot defensively rather than actively confronting the issue head on. Uh, the National Commission for Women rejected it completely outright, saying that rape, harassment and other forms of violence against women appear to have risen in India because more cases are being reported driven by public outrage. Um, to see India painted in, in a negative light worldwide, rather than actually address the issues and address the inherent problems within the country, you know, people are more likely to defend, defend, defend. And, you know, rather than actually see any kind of um, progress and positivity within all these issues that are happening in India right now. It becomes a bad PR story that then affects tourism. Yeah. And I think, and people, you know, God forbid anyone say anything bad about India. But actually, there are so many issues rife within the country, as there are within any country. Yeah. They have to be tackled. The more you ignore them, the worse the problem gets. And that's what's happened in India. Yeah. They have not tackled the problem of the 
misogyny in India. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to, is that there's a group of very angry young men who, for whatever reason, and a lot of it is economic, are frustrated in life and they are now taking it out. They're taking their anger out in the worst possible way yeah. with sexual violence. Yeah. And that needs to be dealt with, as you said, from grassroots level. So what is causing this? Why aren't these guys in jobs and why aren't they working and why aren't they happy and why aren't they be able to kind of live fulfilling lives? What's going on there? They can't just be a nation of mentally ill men who have sexual deviancy with it running within their veins. And a lot of this, I think, comes from anger. And we need to understand what stems that anger. Yeah. And we also then, in within households, need to teach men to say actually that girl could be my mom or my sister or whoever and so i will show her respect that woman even if i don't have a mom or a sister that woman doesn't deserve to be treated like shit she doesn't deserve to be raped this is somebody that is a human being with a value in life and yeah. has every right to walk down the street in the same way that i'm walking down the street absolutely i'll end this with a report in the hindustan times um, which said discrimination and abuse against women is not caused by poverty. Poverty only exacerbates the situation for women. The root cause lies in the patriarchal mindsets which see women as inferior, as people you can exploit and use for domestic, sexual or financial gain. I've said a number of occasions that, you know, I, I had some nightmare times going to India as a, as a youth um, I went last time I was in Gujarat was actually in 1994. The next time I was in India was in 2005 when I decided to go to Mumbai um, and had an amazing holiday. 2008, the same. I love India, but I hate the mindset of the country. I hate some of the thought processes that the country has. You know, it is an extremely regressive state, especially when it comes to women. Now, you would have thought those high-profile cases would have at least changed the mindset and progressed things. If anything, things have only got worse. Um, Zakia Soman, a woman's rights activist, who was also one of the experts surveyed, said no one expects women to have an easy life in countries such as Somalia or Saudi Arabia, but they do expect something more from a democracy like India. And I, I totally agree with that. This is something for a country the size of India and how democratic it is, more should have been done when it comes to sexual violence against females. And the only way we could progress things is, again, it's education. And not just within the system, it's within households, it's within families, it's within culture. Because until these things are addressed, not just at the highest level, but rural villages, small towns, the mindset is not going to change. The next generation is not going to alter that way of thinking. Absolutely. It's all about education, education, education. Like you said, in households, within culture, within all of the uh, temples that everybody goes to, it has to be drummed home that women deserve better. Women do deserve better. Um, and hopefully our little podcasts can go a small step in the way of making people think differently fingers crossed fingers crossed well that's the end of another episode of the native immigrants podcast we'll be back next week for more of the same i am swami barakas and i'm jojo b and we'll catch you all again next week people peace see ya